0: so much to get to on golf today a day after the senate subcommittee hearing on the pga tour public investment fund of saudi arabia partnership what are the players saying about golf's day in front of the senate some big name players weighing in with some explosive remarks from the genesis scottish open that's ahead in the show rex hoggard our reporter on site and the countdown is on until the final major of the year. The Open at Hoylake Place Roy McElroy, won back in 2014. Roars coming off that runner up finish at the U.S. Open. How's he getting his game tuned up to try and win major number five and break that majorless drought dating back to 2014 at Royal Liverpool? Plus, USGA CEO Mike Wan joins the show. Final day of the U.S. Adaptive Open Championship. We're going to be live on site at Pinehurst as golf today starts up right now.
1: golf today.
0: Well, we are smack dab in the middle of the week. Hello and welcome into golf today. I'm George Savarikas, pleased to be sitting alongside golf week's Eamon Lynch, and we had All the focus yesterday on the Senate subcommittee hearing. We're going to have some player reaction later in the show with this two-hour edition of Golf Today. But you look at the golf world, we have the Genesis Scottish Open, Barbasol Championship here stateside, all the lead-up to the Open. So the players balancing, reacting to the news on what their future could hold. But then we have the year's final major coming up next week as well.
2: Yeah, for a lot of us, this is kind of the favorite time of the year when you get into this Lynx golf season. You're going to see a lot of that at the Genesis Scottish Open this week we only really get two weeks of it now and then we start to look towards say the the senior open some years the women's open as well but the genesis scottish open is usually a good barometer of where guys are faring as they head to high lake next week and i I saw some videos from high lake last week where it was raining it was looking a little lush out there in terms of the rough not quite as baked out as it's probably going to be by next week but this is always kind of the sweet spot of the year if you're a real golf geek
0: if you're a real golf geek you're getting to see completely different types of shots than we're accustomed to and, and if you're you a say,
2: political geek you get uh, you get a double hit <laughs> this week really don't you? Uh,
0: yesterday in washington dc this was the news of the day pga tour board member jimmy dunn along with pga tour chief operating officer ron price testified in front of the senate subcommittee on investigations to provide details into the framework agreement that tour entered into with the uh, public investment fund of saudi arabia Here are the partnership notes to keep in mind. And this was all announced back on June 6th, which rocked the golf world, shocked the sports world, and a lot of the general public, PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and the PIF, including LibGolf to combine commercial operations, mission to unify the game of golf on a global basis. The new collectively-owned for-profit entity, tentatively named PGA Tour Enterprises. The Public Investment Fund will make capital investment into the new entity to facilitate its growth. They were also trying to position themselves as the sole source of capital pga tour will remain as a 501c6 tax exempt organization pga tour inc retains administrative oversight of the pga tour including sanctioning of events they mutually agreed to end all litigation between the participating parties and the process to be established for players to reapply for pga tour or dp world tour membership that's after the 2023 season at the end of the year so in case you missed it Here's some of the memorable moments from yesterday's hearing.
3: We believe we've done everything we could possibly do to defend what we stand for, including spending tens of millions of dollars to defend litigation instigated by LiveGolf, and that's significant funds that were diverted away from our core mission to benefit our players and charity. As part of the litigation, we were successful in securing a court ruling that the public investment fund was not protected under sovereign immunity with respect to litigation discovery and potentially liability. That's something which had never been done before in the United States. Meanwhile, we've seen continued strength of the tour, thanks to the loyalty, talent and performance of the remarkable players we are proud to call members of the PGA Tour. Senator, we have not taken any funding. All we've done is settle the litigation and enter into a framework agreement in which the PGA Tour will be the clear leader of professional golf. But there is an understanding that PIF will contribute an investment to the PGA Tour and the entity that will control it. they, they, They will not be contributing to the PGA Tour. It will be a PGA Tour control subsidiary. And any funding what that is they, what is the amount of the Saudi investment that is going to be made? that has not been determined yet Senator has DeFleur, there been any discussion of what that amount will be It would be uh, there's been discussions it would be a significant amount north of what one are the billion, amounts that have been discussed North of 1 billion We have
4: no, no agreement. We have, a, 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 we, have an, we have agreement to possibly get to an agreement. So I think every the way it was announced, which was really bad, okay, Everybody jumped to a conclusion. Maybe even this body that you know they're selling to the. We're, you know, we're not, you know, and but we are really trying to figure out the right thing to do for our players and 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 the global game of golf. And by the way, we, we'll try hard to get an agreement. And 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 I'm I'm not I'm hopeful that we will. If we don't, you know, that we'll have to we'll have to go through some other. We'll have to accept that, that we're going to have to go back and compete, and we'll have to do it, and we'll do it. I think the PGA Tour definitely stays intact and becomes more powerful. And I think, I hope that in a more constructive way, uh, Yasser gets a more productive role in the game of golf because I think the PGA Tour product is vastly superior. That's my opinion.
0: Some of the highlights from yesterday. Now that we've had a day to digest everything, mm-hmm. where do you stand on how everything unfolded? And then also the documents that we were able to see as well.
2: I was struck by how many assertions we heard yesterday from almost everyone in the room that were, at best, assumptions. I mean, we constantly heard about the $700 billion fund allied against the Tour, which is vastly overstating the threat that's out there it's, and, and the staying power of it. it the entire Saudi fund is not directed at the PGA tour but there was this assumption as well that the investment fund would continue to fund live if this deal doesn't happen which may or may not happen but it's a struggling product can't guarantee that was going to happen that that this deal is the only or best option was also an assumption but the one that really struck me George is this assumption and Jimmy Don made it a couple of times that players would continue to leave in sizable enough waves over the next You're few years. Five a year was his estimate. Yeah. and I mean, you and I both spend a lot of time around the tour. I- I'm of the mindset that the players have kind of made their decision. Those who were going to go have gone. Those who decided they were going to stay have stayed. But that was don't prior that to
0: June 6. Yeah, but the I think guys are way for... more palatable. To if they have the right dollar signs, and now that they've seen where the— But tours, the dollar signs were there before. But they they still they, have
2: constructed they, the tour that they
0: wanted. They thought they were on the, the, the white hat and the side of—the the, the right side. That they were going to go down on the right side of history. And now that it's been totally muddled, where I guarantee you guys who are on the fence are now reconsidering if they had the opportunity to say, you know what? I didn't take it, and if they're offering the bag now, and this is what the tour stands for, they want to get in bed with these guys, then what's the difference if I go to that side?
2: So I'm not convinced that there are a significant number of influential players who are willing to make that jump at this point. And it was asserted that that—to me, it's stating that the threat is somehow greater or as great now as it was, say, a year ago, and I uh, don't necessarily—in terms of, of players jumping I think it is I, I, so I, I think, disagree with you. I, I think the, the main guys have made their call on that and I don't you might get a couple of them who would be inclined to go but I don't see anyone significant making that jump
0: I think we're going to hear from some players later in the show that that would demonstrate maybe where they stand with how everything's unfolded and with PGA Tour Commissioner Jay think you Monahan can confuse
2: coming next week a lack of confidence in the tour leadership with necessarily or the way the tour is run with the desire to jump. I think that a lot of people are going to be unhappy with how the tour is doing things. But ultimately, we're going to get to a point where we see whether or not the deal that PGA Tour thinks it has is the same deal that Yasser Al-Rumayan thinks he has. Question
0: for you, and I was thinking mm. about this heading into work today. Do you think the deal has a better chance of going through, or that the players have a better chance of regaining confidence in the PGA Tour dynamic, regardless of if the deal occurs or not?
2: That's a tough one. I think it's a real uphill struggle for both. Uh, I I think this deal is a long shot at this point. I th- think it faces a lot of hurdles. I think it's an even longer shot that the tour executive can recapture the trust of players.
0: Because thinking if the deal doesn't go through, the tour can say we had to end the pending lit- pending litigation. We tried. Now we're going to look at alternative sources of capital. That that was. Part of how everything unfolded over the last six or seven months but for us to sustain our business that was the route we had to go
2: yeah that alternative source of capital is key here because i think even some players who might be inclined to jump ship will be less so if they think there is actually an infusion of capital coming from somewhere. The infusion's going to have to come from somewhere because the old way of doing it isn't the way it's going to be in the future. The question is, does it have to be that source of capital? Does that mean they're going to jump to live? And I don't necessarily buy that argument. But money's coming in from somewhere. And we're going to hear from the guys who actually want some of that money right now. It's about 3,500 miles from Capitol Hill to the Renaissance Club near Edinburgh. But the hearings were being closely watched over there, too. The Genesis Scottish Open co-sanctioned by the pga tour and the dp world tour kicks off tomorrow you can catch first round live coverage thursday 8 a.m eastern time right here on golf channel and here are some of the notables in the field the defending champion xander Shafley, the world number one scotty sheffer us open champion wyndham clark alongside recent winner ricky fowler rory mcelroy justin thomas jordan speed also there for more we're going to head over to scotland to rex hoggard who's been asking some players what they made of yesterday's hearings
1: 24 hours after Tuesday's historic hearing in Washington, D.C., the buzz here at the Scottish Open was still all about that hearing and what PGA Tour officials were able to tell U.S. senators and maybe more importantly, what they weren't able to tell them about the framework agreement. I just think that yesterday we didn't really learn a whole lot again. Um, as a player on tour,
5: we still don't really have a, bunch of, a lot of clarity as to what's going on, and that's a bit worrisome. You know, it's they keep saying it's a player-run organization, and we don't really have the information that we need to kind I of. I
6: mean, I don't even know how to comment. I watched part of yesterday, and I didn't learn anything, um, so I really don't know what to say. I think they've certainly tried to the communication. There's been a lot more emails coming through and regularly uh, to make sure we we feel like we're at least kept abreast of it. So, you know, it's a process, isn't it? The whole thing. I mean, there was there was a reaction from the start, and and now trying to find. Some kind of ground where things can move forward would be good.
1: You said there was a reaction from the start. Do you feel like the temperature in the room, at least among the players, is maybe toned down a little bit?
6: I think that's probably right, but that normally happens over time. Um, but but I don't think any of the actual position seems to change. But I but I, I don't know that for sure either. So you know, um, still trying to fully understand the framework and and hopefully. We can move forward and get some resolve on things soon so we don't have to keep doing this
1: what do you think the next step in the process is you are a member of the pack and you will go to the policy board next year do you have any idea
6: yeah hopefully it's all solved before i'm on the board <laughs> next year <laughs> um yeah look i i don't know i mean it, i think that the now the tricky thing for a, a few guys who are on the pack and and certainly on the board is kind of balancing Actually playing golf and um, you know managing this—it's a—it's a lot that's come onto their plate. And um, you know, for this week and next week, I'd—I'd
7: I'd like my head to be squarely into the golf. I can totally see why guys would uh, be a little worried um, with not knowing how it all works out and, and what the details look like going forward. I mean, how does does the PGA Tour look like it does today? Um, is there massive changes to the PGA Tour? You know, maybe not next year, but in the years to come, um, you know, what does the financial side of it look like? What does the playing side of it look like? What does the guys who went to live? What does that look like in sense of uh, incorporating them back into the P- PGA Tour, possibly? So, there's a lot of details, and um, you know, for me, you know, obviously, I've, I've talked enough about this over the last, you know, year 18 months, and I'm sort of burnt out from it. To tell you the truth, um, and I'm just sort of. Um, I'm always a very optimistic and, 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 glass half full kind of guy. And I believe the PJ tour is doing the right thing and, um, and they're going to figure it out and, and have the best interests of the PJ tour going forward. That's why I've always looked at it. And, you know, they haven't shown me wrong in my 14, 15 years on the PJ tour. And, you know, have I been slapped in the face a few times with some things they've done? Sure. Um, but for the most part, I think it's always been for the betterment of the PJ tour and, um, you know, I'm hoping that this deal is for the betterment of the PJ Tour and the longevity of the PJ Tour going forward. So, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm always on the positive side of things, and, you know, I'm not one of those guys that's sort of looking at the, the negative or being pessimistic about it. So, um, and, you know, if, if I get called out, I get called out for it at times. But, um, like I said, I got to believe that um, the people that I know at the PJ Tour are not only as a sort of working relationship player to, you know, executives, but also – um, some of those are become really good friends of mine living in Ponte Vedra and uh, I know them on a personal level, so um I know you know they 're always trying to do best for the p j tour and, and the players and, and I think they will as they always have done well yeah, sure, I think from the very get
5: go um to have the independents on our board and the and the player board members have no idea that it was going to happen is i think relatively unusual for a business um, and then since then just You know, with our commissioner having um, to leave for health reasons and then uh, just the continuation of hearing and seeing things about certain categories of what the deal might be, be different week to week. You know, we just don't really know um, what's going on. I think getting into a position where um, communication is better. LEAVES US IN A POSITION TO WHERE WE COULD ACTUALLY EVEN SEE IF WE WANT TO ENTERTAIN WHAT THIS COULD LOOK LIKE Um, AND THAT'S uh, THIS HAS NOTHING TO DO WITH THE AGREEMENT ITSELF I MEAN IT'S SIMPLY JUST GETTING OPEN LINES OF COMMUNICATION ON A MEMBER RUN ORGANIZATION TO THE AT THE BOARD LEVEL AND um, BEFORE WE COULD EVEN DECIDE IF THIS WOULD BE SOMETHING WE WOULD EVEN WANT TO EVEN ENTERTAIN SO WE'RE put in A POSITION YOU KNOW IN A IN A PLACE WHERE we may or may not have even wanted to decide this and it looks like we wanted to do this and a lot of people are upset because we made the decisions not to you know to go to live um, for anyone any number of reasons that people had and all of a sudden um, you know it uh, it kind of comes back around and makes us look bad when we haven't even had any say in it so That part's tough. We feel like we're in between a little bit of a rock and a hard place. I think there's some good that can come out of it, but um, it's going to require quite a bit of
1: work between the players and and our our board um, pretty soon. Now you hear players talk about improved communication since that framework agreement has been announced and probably a primary example of that is what's happening this week at the Scottish Open. There's multiple tour officials here talking with players about what the next step is. Probably the biggest part of that is to improve communication and try to change the narrative, both with the media and the players.
0: Communication top of mind, players feel like they weren't involved in the process when you hear those comments from Jordan Spieth, Scotty Scheffler, what comes to mind?
2: Scotty Scheffler is describing something as worrisome, the Tour has a problem, because he's always the most easygoing, upbeat, inoffensive guy. But two guys there, Scheffler and Spieth, reminded the Tour that this is a member-run organisation. And Spieth also used the phrase that it's—I think he said it was sort of relatively unusual to have a member-run organisation, and not even members of the board knew what was happening here. The secrecy, the means by which the deal— was reached, is still rankling guys. The, the, the process is, is what they're angry about. But they're also, you can tell there, even from Jordan Spieth, they're deeply suspicious about what the potential content of the deal is. And th- this perception that they're being made to look like fools, that they, that they made a wrong business decision and the tour has suddenly done an about-face on them and, and hung them all out to dry, that perception is growing. There's just a sense of restrained I wouldn't necessarily say it rises to anger. It's somewhere between disappointment and a little bit of irked. Do you know why
0: this was able to happen? I'm going to give you three letters here. CBA. PGA Tour doesn't have one. There's nothing collectively bargained. When the players say they had no oversight, the players needed to take that next step when they first tried In the 90s to unionize so we're in the last five or ten years but you never had top-down cohesion where the guys moved in lockstep and have 30 or 40 say you know what we're not playing X or we're not doing Y. we want to have a seat at the table to make sure our rights are properly heard with a player representative so when they say that they're not included in these discussions if you look at Major League Baseball longtime announcer Red Barber back in 92 said Babe Ruth Jackie Robinson and Marvin Miller who was the lead player rep to, in their collectively-bargained mm-hmm. negotiations for a 20-year span, started free agency, were the three most impactful baseball players of all time. You don't have that when it comes to the PGA You can P- argue they have
2: five seats on the board. The problem is that two members of the board did an end run around the entire rest But nothing's of the collectively
0: board. bargained there. That, that It can just be unilaterally bargained. Mm-hmm. And that's why the players, when they feel like they have a seat at the table, they clearly— Do not, as we've seen. At the end of the day, it's a small room where the, quote, like, I don't want to call it the adults, but a small subset makes a decision that has a ripple effect for the entire PGA Tour membership. So while they give these platitudes of it's a players-run organization, we saw on June 6th with the announcement, that's not necessarily the case. Let's get some additional reaction from Xander Shoffley.
1: Have
6: your feelings or trust level in Jay changed? thanks Doug. Um, <laughs> yes, yes they have be willing to elaborate let me just say this how much work do you
1: think Jay has to to restore trust if it's lacking in players and, and
6: is is it a impossible task um we have We, we got a memo that he'll be back on the seventeenth um, and uh, if you want to call this sort of like. I have a pretty young tour career but one of the rockier times on tour um you know the guy who was supposed to to be there for us wasn't obviously he had some some health issues so i'm glad we got the memo i'm, I'm glad that he said he's feeling much better um but yeah i'd say he has a lot of tough questions to answer uh, in his return and um yeah i i uh i don't trust people easily um he had my trust and he has a lot less of it now, so uh, I don't stand alone when I say that, and, and yeah, um, he'll just have to answer a lot of really hard questions when he comes back.
0: Part that stood out to me—and Xander's not the type to wear his emotions on his sleeve. I don't stand alone when I say that.
2: No, he certainly doesn't, and I, I would even put these kind of comments in the context of Randall Stevenson's resignation from the PGA Tourist Policy Board, in which he resigned over three issues. One of them, he cited the moral issue, which I don't really think holds a lot of sway among a lot of players. But the other two he cited were that the board needs new governance, uh, that these kind of little cells can't operate within the, the, the board without the full consultation, and that the source of alternative financing, other than the Saudi PIF should be investigated. And I think that's probably a sentiment that a guy like Xander and some other players are going to subscribe to, that you should at least interrogate the options. Don't present us with this kind of fait accompli here. Um, But to this idea of whether or not the the players need a union, I'm I'm all for something like that. But I I think it should be pointed out that this has been going on in a heated manner uh, in various spells for probably the best part of three years Mm -hmm. at this point. And a lot of players had the opportunity to get involved, try to reshape their own tour. They're benefiting from that reshaping that has happened. But most of them didn't actually take any part in that. They want to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to whatever is presented to them. But some of them outright held their own tour hostage for that three years by trying to play them off against the Saudis and say, well, we might go, we might not. But rather than just say, you know what, this is where I'm staying, I'm going to make this tour better, and now they're just sort of complaining that this process has gone into this bizarre cul-de-sac, where it should not have gone, and there are a lot of people to blame for it, but the players owe some of that blame, too.
0: I'd say both sides are culpable, as far as the the players, like I, I said before, being fully invested in what was transpiring over the last three, four, five plus years for the tour to then get to this point, but it's not like the tour was necessarily letting all the players peek in the hood and look at a line item- line They do transpire the Line item p of, of how they're operating per year. So both sides share some of the blame that ultimately led to this point, and then you have this at least ripple effects or certain fractures now with the breakdown in communications, and I understand why the, the players feel chafed. But I do think the players also need to look in the mirror to have a a, a complete understanding with some clarity and context on the decisions that have been made, not just in the last 6 to 12 months, but the last 20, 30 years, to then have them standing where they are right now.
2: It's a good thing there's a lot of blame to go around, (laughs) because the blame game is starting right now. Well, we're going to go from the birthplace of the game in Scotland. We're headed to the home of golf in America. It's Pinehurst, where the second US Adaptive Open is taking place. Some remarkable stories can be found at number six this week, and we're going to hear some of them right after this break.
8: We're
0: back on golf today. This week marks another national championship on the USGA calendar. It's the second ever U.S. Adaptive Open featuring golfers with disabilities is underway at Pinehurst number six. So with that, let's now say hello to our guy, Andy Stevenson. Andy, on site all week in Pinehurst. We're a little jealous here back in the set of golf today as you've been taking it all in. What's the week been like so far, Andy?
9: Afternoon, guys. Yeah, afternoon, everyone. It's, it's been a fantastic week. You know, we hear a lot even this week the phrase kind of growing the game of golf and and golf for good well this event is growing the game uh, more than anything else and I think the spectators who uh, we've seen in greater numbers today actually for the final rounds and all the volunteers here everybody who has been here at Pinehurst number six this week has seen some amazing things and been inspired to take take what they've seen back to their own golf clubs and and talk about this event and share videos of it And, and people have been coming up and thanking us for our coverage on the golf channel so it's it's been a superb week and and as I said right from the start on Monday you know to the players and everyone here this feels like a major championship.
2: Speaking of taking things from Pinehurst home with you Andy we've we've seen a lot of incredible storylines to follow this week. What are some of the ones that have really stuck with you?
9: Well I think as we enter this um final round and I should say the leaders have just gone through uh, nine behind me and, and over my shoulder here is the 18th green where the Titles will be handed out later on today. I think we have to look at the top of the various leaderboards. So there is an overall uh, competition. A a men's champion will be crowned later on today, a women's champion, plus also winners in all of the impairment categories. You look at people like Curtis Barkley, who is leading the men's short stature competition. He's a Canadian. He's plus three uh, overall through nine today. Uh, the overall leaderboard is really exciting, actually, right now. Kit Pope at the Englishman at 5-under after nine holes of his final round. But Connor Stone, the Irishman, and Simon Lee, last year's champion, just a shot behind at 4-under. And in the women's competition, Kim Moore, who I'm sure lots of viewers will know she's the defending champion from last year, a golf coach herself uh, in Michigan. She's at 11-over par, but she's chasing Ryan Jackson for the women's title, Jackson at eight over par. They've both played 11 holes today.
0: Andy, earlier today you caught up with one of the contenders, Mike Brown, what more did you learn from him?
9: Well, it was great to spend a bit of time with Mike. I I met Mike actually at essentially the the British or European equivalent of this tournament, the G4D Open, which was held at Woburn uh, back in my home country of England in May, so I met Mike there. It was great to catch up with him on the range this morning he's currently two under part so only a couple of shots off the overall lead and as you'll hear he has been having a great week
10: yeah it feels like a proper you know like a pga tour event it's um you know it's, it's our major and it's it's such a privilege to be here so yeah i'm uh, i'm just hoping i have a good round today
9: and you know be worthwhile coming. Talk us through your two rounds so far and how you feel about the way you play. I've
10: had two rounds that really could have been amazing rounds. Um, I mean, they're really good rounds. I'm two under at the moment, um, so I've shot a level and two, but I've got to four under on both days, and I've faded on the last three holes every day, so I've got a bit more food in me today, so uh, hopefully we can
9: just Progress and not make some mistakes on the last few. And for people over here in the States who might be seeing you for the first time perhaps on, yep. on the Golf Channel, just take us through your, your backstory.
10: So I'm ex-military myself. Um, I got injured in 2011. Um, I broke my leg and got an infection. And then in 2014, I had my leg amputated and took up golf. So, um, yeah, I took up golf just for rehab. and and sort of to get me out of the house and to meet new people etc because pretty much leaving the military I lost everything really Um, so yeah and then I progressed and progressed and then two years later I turned pro so you know I love it I love the people I meet I, I know I've lost a leg but I'm so fortunate in what I've done to meet some amazing people within the golf industry and um, yeah, I just love it.
9: It's it's my life now. And that's interesting that you took up golf after acquiring your disability. Yeah. That's not the case for for yeah. all of the players yeah. here. Uh, how does the prosthetic leg on on your left side affect affect your game? Um, I don't really know because I didn't really play before. But
10: from watching other people, and that it's like so getting into my left side and uphill and downhill lies, just um, unawkward lies basically, getting in and out of bunkers, etc., etc. You know, there's a lot of other things that that, that can. Hinder me, but we don't let it
9: affect me, and I just get on with it and hope for the best. And I know we we, we share a sad a sad connection in a sense. We were talking about it on the putting green the other night. I know yeah. my dad died last year, and I know yours did as well. Yeah. So, how does this tournament make you feel uh, from that respect? Personally, yeah, I'm, pr- I'm proud to be here. Um, so I'm going to do it for him. Too. And what kind of score do you think uh, you need to I shoot need to, today?
10: I, I know I need to go low today. So um, I need to I need my best game today to beat these guys because you know there's some amazing golfers here. Um, And to be in fourth place in this field is, you know, it's it's no mean feat. So I need a low one. So let's let's go do it.
9: So that's uh, Mike Brown, who's only a few shots off the lead at the moment at two under par. And I think it's just really interesting hearing him talk there about how he he lost a leg uh, in the military through an infection, actually, after injuring his leg. And he took up golf as part of his rehab his rehab not just physically I think it should we should say but his rehab in terms of mental health as well and recovering from the trauma of that amputation so again I underline I think this whole tournament showing what golf can give people and, and showing that golf is a game for everyone
0: yeah certainly that's the case and later in the show Andy we're gonna go back to you as you have USGA CEO Mike Wan uh, joining you still more to comment
2: and yesterday's Senate subcommittee here in Washington DC answered a few questions and a lot of unanswered ones remain. We're going to tackle a couple of them next with our legal expert, Professor Jody Balsam, who's coming right up.
4: We have no agreement. we have a, 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 we have an, we have agreement to possibly get to an agreement. so I think every the way it was announced, which was really bad, okay. Everybody jumped to a conclusion. Maybe even this body that you know they're selling to the. We're, you know, we're not, you know, and but we are really trying to figure out the right thing to do for our players and 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 the global game of golf. And by the way, we'll, we'll try hard to get an agreement. And 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 I'm I'm not I'm hopeful that we will. If we don't, you know, we'll have to we'll have to go through some other. We'll have to accept that we're going to have to go back and compete, and we'll have to do it, and we'll do it.
2: An agreement to have an agreement. That was Jimmy Dunn, PGA Tour Policy Board member, yesterday in Washington, D.C. We're joined now by Brooklyn University, Brooklyn College sports law professor Jody Balsam. Jody, how do you think what happened yesterday will impact this movement towards a definitive agreement between the PGA Tour and the Saudi Public Investment Fund?
11: Yesterday's hearing crystallized that the PGA TOUR PIF partnership raises serious questions about human rights, about foreign influence, about antitrust. And if they weren't aware beforehand, they are now, that their negotiations are going to need to take those questions into account. How are they going to design a deal, a final deal with the deadline of the end of this calendar year, that will satisfy those concerns? And I'll jump in and address the antitrust concerns first. So uh, you're aware sports mergers have a history of significant antitrust scrutiny in football, basketball, hockey, there is a pending Department of Justice antitrust investigation into this partnership. So what do they have to do in terms of the deal they strike, the definitive agreement they reach to address those concerns? Well, first of all, the deal has to benefit consumers in terms of the quality of the athletic contests and the availability and the cost of that product, because antitrust harm is measured in, for example, providing fewer events and fewer options for consumers. Are there going to be more or less tournaments uh, and, and other ways for the consumer to interact with professional golf? Um, The other concern is that LIV spent the past year calling the PGA Tour a monopoly, and the combined entity will be even more dominant. So they have to ensure that they are going to be sensitive to the needs of their players, sponsors, and media rights, uh, and avoid abusing that dominance. They have to continue to innovate, uh, to increase output, uh, and on the plus side in antitrust terms, what the combined uh, efforts will deliver to consumers is what fans want in terms of seeing all the best golfers compete against each other in the same event. So there are pluses and minuses to take away from yesterday's discussion, especially on the antitrust front, and it will be of great interest to the Department of Justice to mine that testimony for evidence that this agreement will deliver what consumers want. One other takeaway is that over and over again, we heard from all sides of the debate yesterday that what we have in Live is an irrational economic actor who poses an existential threat to the future existence of the PGA Tour. That actually weighs on the plus side in terms of antitrust clearance, because the combined entity may be the only way that elite golf survives.
0: Jody, obviously, the Department of Justice was probably watching the hearing yesterday with a fine tooth comb. You mentioned live golf. How impactful would the livelihood of live golf into 2024 be in them ultimately making a decision if combining uh, commercial operations for a partnership would then make sense to ensure that those playing opportunities continue in the near future?
11: Exactly. The Department of Justice will want to see that if live golf goes away, that doesn't mean innovation <laughs> goes away, that that doesn't mean fewer tournaments or fewer opportunities for players. And one way that they can uh, minimize uh, the potential anti-competitive effects of the merger is to give the golfers more flexibility and empower them in terms of governance. If the Department of Justice understands from this deal that the golfers have a meaningful say in how the game is going to be governed going forward, and they have more opportunities, more flexibility to play outside of the combined tour, that will go a long way towards (coughs) satisfying antitrust concerns. Jody, this
2: wouldn't be the first time that an American business has taken investment from a sovereign wealth fund that's attached To an autocratic country. Are there kind of legal guidelines or precedents that would apply here in terms of how it ought to be handled?
11: Well, as you mentioned, the sovereign wealth funds have been investing in US businesses for decades, including from countries that have fairly abhorrent or troubling human rights records. So, how does a responsible American business continue to deal with those investors? and uh, still honor our values. Um, so other companies have dealt with this before. Uh, one way that as a nation we deal with it is if there is concern over uh, national security threat posed by foreign investment, the U.S. government can actually step in and stop it. But we didn't hear that level of concern in yesterday's hearing. So absent U.S. government intervention. What does a responsible business do? Best practices established in other industries include demonstrating that the entity takes human rights seriously. And certainly one way that professional golf can do this is uh, engage in some reforms on their own home front first. Address golf's own history of exclusion and discrimination. And beyond that, actively identify human rights risks associated with Saudi participation in professional golf and and try to actively mitigate them. That requires a great deal of transparency about policies and practices and taking some concrete steps. Uh, For example, one that has been suggested is don't hold a tournament in a jurisdiction that uses forced labor to maintain golf courses. And and seek knowledge and insight from experts in Middle Eastern affairs and from nonprofits whose work addresses these issues.
0: Jody, Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut, who is the Senate Subcommittee Chair, gave us the goodbye for now, teasing a potential future hearing. Um, If and when PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan is involved down the road, if they have a subsequent hearing, what do you expect we would hear out of Jay Monahan?
11: Well, what I expect from the hearing is more of the same. Is Congress putting the screws on the PGA Tour to attempt to influence the negotiations and the shape of a final deal and how the combined entity will (laughs) operate? Uh, I don't think there'll be any surprises. I don't think the questioning will go into areas that weren't already covered. But I think they will insist on having the commissioner. Uh, show his face in these hearings.
2: Well, we've seen a lot of you in the last few days. Jody. we expect to see a lot of you in the future as this story rolls on. Thanks for your time today.
11: You're welcome.
2: For the second time in three days, Mike Wan is going to crown a national champion. USGA CEO is going to join us from Pinehurst number six. That's where the US Adaptive Open final round is underway. And speaking of opens, all eyes are turning towards High Lake for the 151st Open Championship next week. Including this guy, Rory McIlroy won the last time the event was at Royal Liverpool, and we're going to hear from him on how he's prepping for a potential repeat. As Golf Today continues.
1: Golf Today.
0: One hour down, and we are making the turn on golf today. One hour still to go. George Savarik is hanging with Eamon Lynch. Uh, So much going on in the golf world, but we do have a USGA championship this week, and it's a rare championship Wednesday here on Golf Today. So, Eamon, let's head back out to Pinehurst with our guy Andy Stevenson, who's been covering the Adaptive Open Championship. Andy, joined by a friend of the show.
9: I am indeed. Yes, it's the final round of the U.S. Adaptive Open and I have here with me the USGA CEO, Mike Juan. Great to see you, Mike.
8: Thank you. Thanks for being here. We appreciate it.
9: Well, it's wonderful that you're here to, to witness the uh, champions being crowned and, and it's been a great setup this week, great environment. Uh, how proud are you of what the USGA have done here?
8: Yeah, it's been a great week. For I said this last year, we thought we were doing this for the athletes and obviously this is about them. But um, it's really... I feel like we get more out of it than they do. It really reminds you of why we do this. I had a 10-year rules official a volunteer, a guy from Marion, Send me a text last night. I'll just read this to you. Not to overshadow the quality of play and shots I saw today, which were unbelievable. I've never witnessed another championship where the caddies, players and families exhibit so much kindness. They're actually rooting for each other with true heart and soul. They share their stories with each other. They treat each other with respect and kindness. And in all these amazing skills, this group of athlete undoubtedly wins the kindness award among all of our championships. I, I, I couldn't say any better than a, than, a, than a volunteer texted me last night.
9: I think the camaraderie that you mentioned there is so important, isn't it? Because this is a serious golf tournament. You know, the leaders are out there now fighting for, fighting to win this title. but. I think everybody here you know from volunteers to officials to players wants the tournament to succeed you know and (laughs) it's almost more important to them than winning the title themselves.
8: We've talked about in our staff meetings that uh, a lot of times when you go to a championship you really want to watch tea to green. Here you actually want to be around green to tea because those conversations that are happening from green to tea you learn these incredible stories that are out here and uh, you know when it's tea to green they're athletes they lock in and you know they're trying to make a number Uh, but you just don't want to miss Uh, And I think you guys have done a great job this week, and we appreciate that of not just talking about the golf, and the golf is great, but I was saying to our team yesterday, I've never been at a championship and looked at the leaderboard less. Uh, The leaderboard's important, don't get me wrong, but it's it's not the power of this week.
9: Yeah, and what are some of the the storylines or perhaps some of the players that you've been particularly following this week?
8: Well, I mean, yesterday I got to see Max from Utah, 19 years old, skiing accident last year, shoot 70 in a seated position. Um, i played this golf course a few times. I'd hate to tell you what I shot, but it wasn't 70. And um, to see, and he shot 82 the day before, you know, so said it was the first time you would ever seen the golf course. Um, and just, you know, to get to know, to get to know somebody like that. I had lunch yesterday with Chris Biggins, who I met when we had a four-ball competition at the uh, at the Country Club of uh, Birmingham, and he's an assistant pro. There's a huge juniors program, and I saw him at lunch, and I kept trying to ask him about his game, and he kept trying to talk about how quickly he's got to finish his round today because he's got junior programs going on, his camp going on. He wants to be there for his juniors. Um, That's what makes this thing so special. I mean, there's somebody who we're trying to give back to him, and he's worried about the part of the game he's given back to back in Birmingham. So if you spend any time in in player dining, you walk out of there a better person.
9: We've heard so many times this week stories of how golf has helped people rehab after an accident or injury or illness or even people who've been born with their disabilities how important the game of golf has been to them for their mental and physical health how does that make you feel as one of the men responsible for the game in this country and around the world
8: sometimes a little silly you know for when i flew here i had been in wisconsin for the men's u.s senior then to pebble beach and then here and of course i was dragging i came in monday night and complained about you know bad seats and not being able to sleep and you walk in here what am i complaining about Uh, and you kind of get back to what makes this game what makes this game great. It's camaraderie, it's getting to know each other. Um, we talked about it last night. Two of the leaders in the competition were cooking out steaks together last night. A couple of the women that are at the top leaderboard were on a, were on a boat together yesterday afternoon. So this is, um, they get it. And sometimes we need to be learning. A lot of times, I think um, we gotta remember who we can learn about from this game. We talk a lot about the state of golf and all the turmoil we're in the middle of. This is what golf's really about. This is about bringing people together, no matter their background, no matter how they got here, and just making the letting the game be fun competitively, um, but getting to know each other. And um, uh, if you're looking for heroes, you don't have to go farther than Pinehurst number six.
9: So this is the second time the U.S. Adaptive Open has, has been held. We're not at Pinehurst next year. We're going to Sand Creek Station in Kansas. What kind of things can be done to help grow this tournament even more? Do you think?
8: Well, I think, uh, I think two things. I mean, this is, you know, you're asking me things and there'll probably be people rolling their eyes back at my team, but um, I want to do a better job of talking about the, uh, the different classifications because I think we do a really good job talking about just the two that raised the trophy. Um, but really, quite frankly, you know, whoever wins the seated division, whoever wins, you know, the, the arm disabilities or, or neurological disabilities, we, we should really be talking about eight different championships and both the men and women. Of course, there's one at the end. I think we'll look for more ways to really celebrate the different classifications. Um, the other thing is to continue to tell these stories. I mean, tell the scores, talk about what's happened in terms of who making putts. But I think what you guys are doing together with us, there's 96 heroes here, um, not one, not two. There, might, there may only be two trophies here but there's 96 people that can make the game better and I think uh, thanks to you guys we're telling those stories
9: Well, thank you for your time and to your team as well It's been a great week and we're building towards the uh, conclusion of all of those eight impairment categories as Mike says and the overall leaderboard as well
0: This week the PGA Tour and DP World Tour co sanction and host the third Rolex Series event of the year at the Genesis Scottish Open Some of the world's best players in the field first round coverage Coming your way tomorrow will be a good watch, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on Golf Channel. We're just a week away from the season's final major, one of the headliners in this week's field, who has yet another chance to claim major number five after last year's near miss at St. Andrews. That's Roy McIlroy, who had entered that final round, tied with Victor Hovland for the lead. Ultimately fell short by two to a streaking Cameron Smith, who won the Claire Chug for his first major. Rory's recent results at the open you see last year was a third place finish You forget back in 2018 he was t2 that run of 16 17 18 was top five each and every year Rory won the open in 2014 at Royal Liverpool for more on the state of Rory's game as he preps for the open let's send it out to Rex Hoggard over in Scotland
1: now, one of the most watched players this week will be Rory McIlroy. And it's not just because of how well he's been playing recently. He'll enter next week's Open Championship as one of the clear favorites when it returns to Hoylake, where he won in 2014. And he said the biggest challenge will be balancing those expectations.
12: Yeah, so I think, you know, having, you know, I I played four weeks in a row and then having two weeks off where I I took, uh, you know, the, the at least – um, the first week of that two weeks com- completely off. You know, I didn't touch a club for a little bit after that four-week stretch. And I think just to get some competitive golf under my belt, um, get a scorecard in my hand and, and play, you know, it's not pure Lynx at this place, but it's, you know, it's it's linksy enough conditions. At least you're playing in a bit of breeze and, you know, you're maybe getting some visuals that you would get at a, at a Lynx course. So I think just all of that um, will obviously be, you know, will be good with one eye towards next week and and the open but you know it's still it's it's a big tournament and you know I can you know I can sort of you know I can make points on both sides of the pond for you know looking later down the the you know down the line at the end of the year for FedEx Cup and Race to Dubai and all that stuff so um you know I think this week serves a few purposes.
1: You just told Scott you're as confident in your game now as you have been in a really, really long time. Obviously, going back to Hoylake, we have so many good feelings. Is it a challenge, though, to temper your expectations? And if so, how do you do that?
12: I, absolutely. Um, you know, I sort of dealt with that at Augusta this year. I felt like my my game was in really good shape. And then, um, yeah, I just didn't produce what I needed to produce the first two days. And, you know, that was disappointing. And I think I learned a lot from that uh, and just about, you know, playing a golf tournament there's you know 72 holes is a long time a lot can happen you know it's a you know it's a journey you know it's a it's a journey to to get yourself into contention and to be there on sunday afternoon and um you know there's a lot of golf shots to be hit and a lot of golf to be played and uh yeah the worst thing you can do in this game is get ahead of yourself
1: Now Wednesday's Pro-Am format was a nine and nine format, which means players only had to play nine holes, but Rory opted to play all 18. And when I asked him why, he said he really wanted to focus on making sure his game is ready for Lynx golf, both this week and next week.
0: Rex talking about, I
1: mean, the run that
0: Rory has been on, you look dating back to the PGA Championship, T7, T7, T9, runner up at the US Open, T7 at the Travelers. He has five straight top 10 finishes, couple of weeks off, leading into this stretch now at the Scottish Open.
2: Is, yeah, look at what he's had since his last major championship victory. You know, 14 PGA Tour wins, three FedEx Cups, handful of wins over there, and yet all we ever talk about is what he doesn't have, mm-hmm. which is that fifth major title. And this one's a little testing for Rory, I think, psychologically as well, because going back to where he won in the summer of 2014, he's going to feel the same next year at the PGA Championship oh, at Valhalla. the next
0: three majors will be the same scenario. Exactly, and it's
2: it's it's tough enough—and other players feel this as well, I assume, a Jordan Spieth, guys like that, where you're constantly measured against the player you were in a certain window. And it doesn't matter how good you are now, if you don't have those major titles, people are going to point back and say, well, you were at your best then. You were a different guy. You did then. it once. Why are you doing it again? Exactly. And it's, it's a sort of a—it's got to add an extra layer uh, of poignancy or pressure, whichever you want, to Rory McIlroy heading in there next week to— to realize that this is a golden opportunity. He's proved he can do it on this golf course. He says now he's better than he ever was, which is arguably true. But the results in major championships have just fallen a little bit short, and not far short. I mean, he's got 19 top 10 finishes in major since his last win, and 10 of those have been top 5 finishes.
0: I remember Jordan Spieth, and I want to say this was uh, 2018 or so. He said, if I can give myself— two legitimate shots at winning a major every year for the rest of my career, then I'm a happy man. Rory in contention at the PGA Championship, thick of it, at the U.S. Open, so he's already done that twice. The million-dollar question is, what's going to need to happen for Rory to go from four to five? Because the weight of time, the further it extends, the more weight he's dealing with when it comes to unmet
2: expectations. So paint the scenario for me where you think it could happen. Well, I, th- I think some careers go in chapters. You look at Raymond Floyd, for example, who won a major early in 1969, didn't win another major again for seven years, then didn't win a major again after that for another six years until the PGA in '82. So you can have chapters. And Rory McIlroy is still only 34 years old, which is basically the age Phil Mickelson was when he won the first of six majors. It's but I do think it's active there. I do think it's a, a scenario where he's better coming from behind and charging. What we saw at the Open last year, when he and Victor Hovland had a tie for the lead, and they were four ahead, if anyone else, and they both looked so tentative mm-hmm. out there. And in Rory's case, there was a certain inevitability about the fact that the putts kept missing the hole, and that he just didn't look as aggressive, as comfortable, uh, as assured of himself as he was in the three rounds that led him up there. And it just—it leads me to believe that Rory McIlroy's chance of winning a major championship is going to come from behind. And also, in fairness, he's lost the guys who've actually played really well. No one would have expected Wyndham Clark to play the w- as well as he did at LACC. Cameron Smith had to shoot a 64 last year to win an Open. It's not as though Rory's in the habit of shooting 75, 76 when he's in contention. Somebody just plays a little more assuredly, a little more aggressively, and a little better.
0: And they play with a little more freedom, and I would say. And yeah. you can throw in 2018 Masters. He's in that final group, misses that short putt on the second, and then the day completely
2: shifts when it seemed like he was going to have any— eight- But he was three shots behind a guy who played a really solid round of golf starting the day, so it's not true. But he did But he didn't play— But he was off. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, like we're accustomed to seeing Roy. That's happened now three times when we've seen him in that final group in a major. I yeah. agree with you where I think it's going to need to be a scenario, and we're going— magic eight ball hypothetical here where Rory is call it four shots back and he's mentioned as one of the chasers the focus isn't on him he needs knows that he needs to go low and have that type of day that just comes together and that's where it's going to happen because the weight of expectations won't be as much than when you're under the magnifying glass in that final group and everyone knows you have to get it done you're in control of the tournament this is when it's going to happen.
2: Or you could just, you know, win by eight again, <laughs> which he's done a couple of times before. And the last time he was at High Lake, he won comfortably there as well. At one point, he had a, you know, a half dozen. extra. lead. It ended up being a there. much
0: closer margin. Uh, Ricky Fowler and Sergio. I think he'd Garcia. take
2: the six ahead rather than four behind. To be honest, my money would be on him in that scenario. I'm going to buy that for sure.
8: Golf Central Update brought to you by Callaway Golf.
0: The LPGA Tour in Ohio this week at the at Highland Meadows for the Dana Open Gabby Lopez your defending champion three time winner on the LPGA Tour features the LPGA's most recent major winner Allison Corpus as well as world number one Jin Young Ko along with Rose who's had three straight top 10 finishes since turning pro also in the field this week on sponsors exemptions because of their play in the NCAA championships Lauren Walsh who was part of the winning national championship Wake Forest Demon Deacons her coach selected her for this exemption also Erica Shepherd of the Duke Blue Devils women's golf team is in the field on a sponsor exemption following a top 15 finish in the NCAA individual championship
2: and let's take a look at the standings in the season-long race to the CME globe Ronin Yin the winner of the KPMG women's PGA championship recently she's on the top of the list Akaya food right behind her Jin Young Cole world number one, and the recent US Women's Open winner, Allison Corpus, has moved into the top ten there in eighth place. It is now time to check out the road to the
0: LPGA. This is the upcoming schedule for the Epson tour, and you see the Hartford HealthCare Women's Championship. That's coming up this week. Then they head to Twin Bridges Championship. That's Pine Haven Country Club the following week. Some time off. They resume things with back-to-back weeks in the state of Indiana, August 3rd through 6th, and then 10th through 12th at South Bend Country Club.